Now, Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations present... Suspense! Tonight, Autolite brings you Mr. Ralph Edwards in Ghost Hunt, a suspense play produced and directed by Anton M. Leder. Friends, replace worn-out narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of those new wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. Your motor will idle smoother, give better performance on leaner gas mixtures, actually save gas. These winning benefits are all made possible by a newly developed Autolite 10,000-ohm resistor built right into every Autolite resistor spark plug, making practical a wider spark-gap setting. And that's what does the trick. What's more, Autolite resistor spark plugs with this exclusive Autolite resistor have greatly increased electrode life and cut down on radio and television interference. So folks, see your Autolite dealer and have him replace old, worn-out, narrow-gap spark plugs with a set of the new Autolite resistor spark plugs. Remember, you're always right with Autolite. And also remember, the Autolite suspense show is now on television. Every Tuesday night in many parts of the country. And now... Autolite presents Ralph Edwards in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Yeah, didn't that leave you high, huh? Left me feeling treetop tall. That was Louis Armstrong's I Can't Give You Anything But Love. And that's all we have time for on the Hot and Mellow Hour tonight. Yes, 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 this is Smiley Smith, your favorite disc jockey. I hope, I hope, booting the Hot and Mellow Hour home for this evening. I'll be back again tomorrow night, minus the music, but with a little surprise for you. Tomorrow night, Friday night, as you know, is stunt night here at station WXP. And have I got a stunt for you. Last week, if you remember, I planted my wire recorder in the steam room at a lady's Turkish bath and let you listen in on the playback, remember? <laughs> well, tonight, as soon as I leave the studio, do you know where I'm going? Hmm? Your friend Smiley is going to spend the night in a haunted house on a spook hunt. You heard me, a spook hunt in a haunted house. I'm bringing my little old wire recorder along with me, and if you tune in tomorrow evening at this time, you'll learn what it's like to spend a night in a haunted house. Ain't that something? <laughs> a real haunted house. No kidding. Four people are known to have committed suicide there. So tune in tomorrow night and share a real thrill with your old pal Smiley, I must be crazy, Smith. Good night. Care for a cigar, Mr. Thorpe? I got some cigars in the dash there. No. Well, no reason for you to carry a chip on your shoulder, Mr. Thorpe. Oh, really? Well, I don't like this fool stunt. Well, I don't see it as a fool stunt at all. I really don't. I think it's the only way you're going to unload this house. Ordinary selling methods won't work in a case like this. Now, don't forget the reputation saddling this house. Four suicides since 1939. You know what people call it. The death trap. Yes. A lot of nonsense. Sure, but try to convince people of that. Anyway, when this disc jockey offered me this chance to kill all the rumors about the death or about the property, I just naturally jumped and took him up at it. Especially since it don't cost a cent. You sure about that? I'm not liable for a penny. Not a cent. We're doing him a favor letting him use the place, he said. 
thanked me for the chance last night when I drove him out here. So one hand washes the other, as the feller says. He got a chance to pull off a stunt, and the wire recording will prove the people the property's A number one, and we increase the chance of selling the place. Well, as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Not a thing. He's using his own recorder, and I'm paying for the rental of a couple of walkie-talkies he hooked up to it. Well, uh, what about this uh, Reed? Does he charge anything? He comes gratis, too. Dr. Reed is a, uh, whatchamacallit, a psychic investigator. Belongs to a couple of societies that do nothing but hunt ghosts. <laughs> he showed me articles he's written about it in their magazine. Uh-huh. Well, here's the house. Yeah, looks real nice in the sunshine, don't it? Yeah, man, smell that sea breeze. You don't have to sell me. Well, let them know we're here. Yeah. Probably asleep up all night and everything. Why don't they come out? You think they've gone? Well, I told them last night I'd pick them up around 11. Uh, Smith! Smith! Hey, Smiley! Dr. Reed! Yeah, fast asleep, I guess. We better go in and wake him up. Of course, they may have taken the bus back to town. Oh, no, no. It's a two-mile hike to the main highway. Uh, Smith! Hey, uh, Smiley. Where are you? Wake up. You don't suppose, uh, do you? Oh, no, no. Uh, Smith? Uh, Dr. Reed? What's that, that, uh, clicking noise from in there? Well, it's his wire recorder. He left it running. Huh. Well, these machines cost a lot of money. Doesn't he care if he uses up his batteries? Well, where is he, and where's this Reed? Maybe they're upstairs. Uh, Smith? Hey, anybody home? They must have walked to the highway and taken the bus. Well, he wouldn't have left these machines. Well, where are they, then? Where are they? Now, now, don't get excited, Mr. Thorpe. Don't tell me not to get excited. If something's happened to them in my house, I'm liable. Well, you try this side. I'll try that one. All right. Uh, Smith. Hey, Smiley. Smith. Smith. Oh. McDonald, come here. No, what? What it? Oh. No. Reed. Dr. Reed. No, no, don't touch him, Mr. Thorpe. You'll get your hands off. Look. Blood. Is he dead? I can still feel his pulse. We better get him to hospital fast. Cigar, Mr. Thorpe? No, no, thanks. Well, why not try to relax? The nurse said Reed would be all right as soon as he's had a blood transfusion. You told the radio station to be sure and call us as soon as they had any word about Smith? Yes, I told him. Uh, why don't you sit down? No, oh, I'm all at sixes and sevens. What do you suppose happened out there last night? Uh, we're going to know in just a second, just as soon as I can get this, this recorder set up. You don't suppose Smith and Reed got into a fight, do you? Yeah, there. Huh? A fight? 
I don't know. Well, what's wrong? Won't it work? Yeah, it works. Uh, take it easy. One, two, three. Testing. One, two, three. There. Testing. One, two, three. All set, Dr. Reed? Mr. McDonald, eh? Okay, here we go. <clears throat> this is Smiley Smith speaking. Smiley Smith, the ghost hunter. I don't know whether to hope this will turn out to be a success for the sake of the program or a failure for my own sake. Anyway, all the preparations have been made now, and it's up to the spooks. I better tell you where we are. Right now, we're standing on the lawn of a house about 12 miles above Malibu Beach. The ocean is 100 feet away, straight down. The house is perched on a cliff, and there's a sheer drop of about 100 feet right into the old Pacific. Maybe you can hear the surf pounding. I'll turn up the volume. You hear it? Now, I'm going to have you meet two gentlemen who are here with me. Incidentally, we're the only people around for miles and miles. First, I'd like you to meet Dr. Clarence Reed of the British and American Psychical Research Guilds. Dr. Reed is a famous investigator of uh, psychic phenomena, and I'm very honored to be associated with him on this ghost hunt. He's smiling in an embarrassed sort of way. You're much too kind, Mr. Smith. Dr. Reed has conducted experiments in this field with such great believers in spiritualism as Oliver Lodge and Arthur Conan Doyle. He looks a bit like Santa Claus. He's short and stocky. You don't object, <laughs> do you, Dr. Reed? Hmm? <coughs> no, 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 indeed. And he has a magnificent white beard, a truly great beaver. Dr. Reed is so enthusiastic about ghost hunting that he got out of a sick bed this evening to be with us. <coughs> Excuse me. My lungs... Mm -hmm. I was uh, gassed in the First World War. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Dr. Reed and I are here on the lawn looking at the house. Can't see much. It's around, oh, 11 p.m. now. Seems to be a rambling sort of house, two stories high. Since it was built, there have been four suicides here. Is that right? Uh, that's right. Uh, in, into the mic, please. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> four suicides since 1939. I better tell them who you are so they won't think you're a ghost. Huh? Standing with the doc and me is a real estate agent, Mr. Charles McDonald. He handles his property and... He can tell you a lot more about it than I can. Well, the house was built by a man named Marcus, Toby Marcus, an orange grower. Built the house as a wedding present for his wife. A month after they moved in, she took her own life. On the day of her funeral, he committed suicide the same way. There have been two other cases since then, and did, I... Did they all uh, jump into the ocean? Yeah, yeah, all four of them, right over there. Well. The last one was actually seen doing it about three years ago. He was seen running like all get out the edge of the cliff, and he was shouting and laughing and yelling as though there was people at his side running right along with him. You kidding? No, it's a fact. He was laughing and yelling and running, and when he got to the edge, uh, right over there, huh? he jumped and never came above water. <laughs> as good an argument against cold baths as ever I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since then, people just refuse to live in this house. Silly, I call it. Anyway, if you and Dr. Reed find any sign of a spook, I'll advise the owner to pull the house down and rebuild. But if you don't find anything... I'm hoping this will convince folks that here's a real buy. Yeah, okay, Mr. Smith, you and the doctor on your own. I'll be by in the morning to pick you up around 11. Goodbye, Mr. McDonald. I hope yeah. there's something left for you to pick up in the morning. <laughs> well, it's almost pitch black, folks, and I guess Dr. Reed and I ought to begin. I don't believe in ghosts, never have, but what I say is this. If you're dead set on looking for them, this is a dandy place to do it. So long! Mr. McDonald just checked out. And then there were two. Well, three. Hmm? Oh, my dog, yeah. Uh, folks, I have my dog, Jeff, with me. He's a wire-haired terrier, three years of age, and he can talk. Yeah, say hello, Jeff. Come on, Jeff, say hello. Come on. Well, anyway, he's a wire-haired terrier, and he's three years old. Uh, shall we go inside now, Dr. Reed? I was about to suggest it. 
Now, uh, how do we hunt ghosts, Doctor? How do we do it, huh? Well, we don't really hunt them. If there should be any in the house, they will come to us. How cozy. And please, not ghosts. Do not refer to them as ghosts. We know them as apparitions. I'll remember. I've no desire to hurt their feelings. Where ghosts are concerned, I say live and let live. Well, we've opened the front door now. Maybe you heard the hinge squeak a little. Now we're standing here looking in. Can't see much. Smells sort of musty and damp. What's the matter, Jeff? What's the matter, boy? Jeff. Oh, come on now. Come on. My dog seems to object to entering this house. He has all four feet braced and he's straining against the leash. Perhaps he senses something we don't. Like apparitions, maybe? Perhaps. It's not unusual. Animals lack the veneer of sophistication we humans possess and are more sensitive to such ammunition. Yeah, come on, Jeff. Now, stop this nonsense. He probably smells a mouse or rat or something. Come on, Jeff. We're going in whether you like it or not. Well, there's a short entrance hall, and over there at the end of it is a flight of stairs leading to the second floor. Jeff! And uh, over here at the left is what seems to be a large reception room. We're entering this large room now. There are windows over there, French windows, and through them I can see the ocean. The electricity hasn't been turned on, so all I have to see by is a flashlight. Not a very powerful one at that. Dr. Reed is now adjusting his walkie-talkie. It's hooked up to my recorder so that he can cut in while he's hunting and tell us what he's found. Here's a few words from Doc before he sets forth on his investigation through the house. Ladies and gentlemen... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Mr. Smith has introduced me as a ghost hunter. He spoke, I think, in a spirit of skepticism and, and levity. I'd like to assure you all that my purposes here are serious. I have spent my entire life seeking reliable proof of the appearances of apparitions. Mm. Have you ever seen any, ever? I have seen phenomena which lead me to believe in the possibility of their existence, although I have never seen any. I account myself sensitive to the evidence of their existence. This house, for example, affects me profoundly. It doesn't seem to affect you in the same way. I'm not too happy about all this, if that's what you mean. You are not psychic and therefore not sensitive to these matters as I am. I imagine the question in the minds of those of you listening to us is, shall we find apparitions? I don't know. But I feel they are here and that they are evil. I sense danger. I shall soon know. Dr. Reed's leaving the room now to make a tour of the house. First thing I'm going to do is open the windows and let some fresh air in. Ah, it feels better already. Cooler anyway. I know that. Out! What was a bat? A, ba a bat just flew flew into the room. I I think it's a bat, not a bird. I didn't actually see it. Just its its shadow as it fanned my face. There it is again. It touched me as it passed. <laughs> Jeff! 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 Come back here! Jeff! You fool dog! Come back here! Doctor Reed. Doctor Reed. Dr. Reed! For suspense, Autolite is bringing you Mr. Ralph Edwards in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Snap out of it. Huh? Oh, oh, uh, I'm reading a letter about the new wide gap auto light resistor spark plugs, Hap. Oh. It's from Mrs. Clark Perry right here in Hollywood. She says, our 1948 station wagon has given constant trouble. 
Finally, the garage man said all the difficulty was spark plugs, and he installed a set of Autolite resistor spark plugs. Now the car runs beautifully. The very first time my husband has been really pleased. Well, smart garage man. Smart people to take his advice. Hap, you know, as more and more people learn about wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs and how they make an engine idle smoother, give better performance on leaner gas mixtures, actually save on gas... Why, then more people will replace old, worn-out, narrow-gap spark plugs with sensational new wide-gap Autolite resistor spark plugs. Any more letters like that, Harlow? Plenty, Hap, plenty. Why, here's another one from New York City. Oh, uh, read it to me later, Harlow. We haven't time because here's suspense. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Ralph Edwards as Smiley Smith in Ghost Hunt. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Oh, oh, yeah. Jeff, Jeff, come back here. Jeff, you fool dog, come back here. Dr. Reed. Dr. Reed. Dr. Reed. Reed speaking. What is it, Smith? Uh, Jeff has run off. My dog, he, he jumped through the window and ran off. Oh, so I told you he sent something about this house, didn't I? Yeah, you want to come and see if you can determine what it was exactly that set him off? Uh, soon. I'm making my way slowly up the stairs toward the second floor now. I'm halfway up. I'll be down with you soon. <laughs> Folks, my dog's run away. You probably heard him howling. He jumped through the window and took off. Never did anything like that before. Frightened by the bat, I guess. Personally, alone here in this big room, I can understand how he must have felt. This isn't a cheerful spot by any means. I may not be psychic, but I sure have a feeling this house doesn't want us here. Read again. <coughs> Excuse me. I have something of great interest to report. I'm now standing in an alcove on the second floor trying to recover my breath. As I reached the head of the stairs, I felt what I think is a definite psychic manifestation. I felt suddenly as though I had been punched in the solar plexus. That's the only way I can describe it. At the same time, I began to perspire. Uh, my head is still swimming slightly, uh, and I have difficulty in swallowing. My pulse rate is around 110 in a minute. The sense of evil is very strong. I feel very, uh, what shall I say, profoundly depressed. Do you want me up there? Uh, no, I prefer to remain up here alone. The presence of a disbeliever such as you might interfere with my investigation. Folks, I'd like you to get a picture of what it's like here. It's very quiet, for one thing. I've never been in such a quiet place, and it's pretty dark. No light except my flashlight. Tell you what, you go now and douse all the lights you have on. Go ahead, put out the lights, and that'll give you a clearer feeling of how it is here with me. Go ahead, put out the lights. Hey, did, did you hear that? <laughs> Real estate agent told me I'd probably hear rats and mice in the walls. Well, I can certainly hear them now. Even you can hear them, I think. It's as though... Dr. Reed speaking. I've been working my way toward the front room, the one directly above the one in which Mr. Smith is now. The vibrations have become stronger more and more pronounced as I approach it. I think I am on the verge of an important discovery. Important discovery. Did you get that? Now I can hear Dr. Reed moving about in the room above. I don't suppose you can. Have a try anyway, huh? Hear him? I hope he finishes his investigation soon because, quite frankly, I'd like to get out of here. I can well imagine people becoming unhinged in this place. Right now I find myself pretty jumpy. Not being very brave, am I? being alone in this room down here that does it, this, this darned old house, it's, it's a very, I mean, you know, the atmosphere, it's so very... I wish only to make this hurried report before continuing with the investigation in this room. 
I have carefully sounded out all the parts in this room, and the emanations are most strong from what appears to be a closet, before which I am now standing. As soon as I open the door to this closet, I will have, I think, a thing of great interest to communicate. I find no key to the lock, and so I will attempt to remove the hinges with my penknife, and I will tell you what I find when I open it. I'll tell you what it would cost to get me to open that door. In the basement at Fort... There's that bat again. It seems to like me the way it keeps... Each, each time it passes, it touches my face or my neck with its wings. <laughs> Smelly things, bats. I don't suppose they bathe very often, if at all. I wonder how... Get the way, you bat! That bat'll be the death of me. Yeah, it's like a jingle, isn't it? Bat'll be the death of me, the death of me, the death of me. Bat'll be the death of me. It isn't far from London. No, that isn't the way it goes. It's uh, come down to Q um, in lilac time, in lilac time, in lilac time. Come down to Q in lilac time. It isn't far. I haven't thought of that since I was a kid in grammar school. See, I had a lonely childhood when you come right down to it. I mean, oh, that's my affair, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. It well, certainly is. I have succeeded in removing the hinges to the door, and I find inside it is not a closet, but much larger. It is, I think, a dressing room. I have not yet been inside, but I am about to enter. Uh, what was I talking about? Uh, oh, yeah, bats. Well, the bat flying back and forth in this room is... Did you hear that? Did, did you hear it? Dr. Reed must have knocked something over in the dressing room. A chair, a chair, yeah, a heavy chair by the sound of it. The chair or whatever it was must have fallen right, right over my head. That's the way it sounded. I, I, I can see a small stain forming right on the ceiling, right, right over my head. <gasps> Something ran across my foot just a rat, I think it was. I've always hated rats. Most people do, of course. That stain up there bothers me. It, it's gotten so big so soon. I think I'll take a chance and bother Reed and ask him what it is. Dr. Reed. Reed, can you hear me? Are you all right? Hello? Well, he didn't answer. I, I, I think he's just a little bit deaf. I think so. What do you suppose he's found, huh? I'm afraid this is rather dull for you listeners. I, I'm not finding it so, of course. There. I, I heard him cough. Did you hear that cough? Hope he's all right. He's, he, he got out of a sickbed to come here this evening, you know. He was gassed in the First World War, and this place is beginning to get on my nerves a wee bit, just a teensy-weensy bit. <laughs> Reed, speaking, I... Hello? He switched off. That's the bad cough he's got. I feel so lonely. I've been alone so much in my life. Not so much now, of course, but when I was younger, I was alone so much of the time, you know, struggling to get ahead, living in a hall bedroom, wondering where my next meal is coming from. I get the blues just remembering it. Seem sad, young people having to spend so much time alone. Sad for old people, too, of course. I'm saying of course a lot. Of course I am. Hey, that stain on the ceiling, it's grown amazingly. It, it, it's actually beginning to drip. I mean, form bubbles. They'll start dropping soon. Colored bubbles, they seem to be. Odd-shaped stain, like a, a, a body lying on its back with its arms stretched out. <laughs> it's cheerful. <laughs> oh. I'll certainly advise Mr. McDonald to have this place pulled down. I'll go upstairs in a minute or two to see how Dr. Reed's making out. You know, listeners, I, I really believe I'd go completely crazy if I had to stay here much longer. Wears you down. That's exactly what it does. It wears you down. It's so close and musty in here. I feel sort of trapped. <laughs> Don't know why I said that. That's, that's what they call this place, you know, the death trap. There, what did I tell you? That stain started to drip drops, drip drops, drip drops, drip drops. Drip. I'll catch the next one in my hand. Let you... <gasps> Reed! Dr. 
Dr. Reed! I'm going upstairs now, listeners. I'm, I'm afraid something has happened to Dr. Reed. I'm not kidding. Now. I mean, this is on the level. I, which room could it be now? Right? Left, no, right, right. This is it, I think. Well, <laughs> oh, evening, gentlemen. And, and madam, I'm so glad to see you. I, I, I was just aching to see somebody, anybody. I, I've been so lonely down there. Uh, what have you done with the doctor, huh? I know, I know he's been hurt. See the color of the bubble on my hand? What have you done with him? Make way, please, gentlemen, make way. Well, well this isn't the, the funniest darn thing. <laughs> this can't be Dr. Reed lying here. He didn't have a red beard. Now, don't crowd me, gentlemen. Don't, don't crowd me, please. Huh? You want me to go where with you? You want me to do what? Speak up, gentlemen. To the cliffs. Down to the cliffs. You mean right now? <laughs> well, well, all right, if you'll come with me. I don't want to be alone anymore. You will come with me? All of you? All four of you? You too, ma'am? Oh, good. Come on, then. To the cliffs. To the cliffs. To the cliffs. To the... He jumped over the cliff. He jumped over the cliff, McDonald. He jumped over... Mr. McDonald, Mr. Thorpe, you may come in to see Dr. Reed now. What? Uh-huh. Dr. Reed is conscious. You may see him now. Is, is he able to talk? Just for a few minutes. In here. Come in. Come in, gentlemen. How are you, Dr. Reed? We've been waiting to see you. Yes, and I must apologize, gentlemen. I had a most unfortunate accident. Hemorrhage. Uh, hemorrhage? Yes. My lungs, you know. No, gentlemen. Hemorrhage? Dr. Reed, what happened in that house? What happened to Smith? We've just been listening to a playback of the recordings you made out there. Smith? Well, isn't he with you? We've just heard the recording, Dr. Reed. Smith jumped over the cliff into the ocean. Oh, that poor boy. Dr. Reed, will you please tell us what happened? We heard on the recording there were ghosts in that house. Ghosts? I didn't see any ghosts. But, Smith, what about him? If he went over the cliff, it was fear that drove him over. But, Gentlemen, I didn't see any ghosts. As for that unfortunate young man, who can say now what he saw or thought he saw? <laughs> Thank you, Ralph Edwards, for displaying your versatility by appearing as guest star on Suspense. Say, Harold, that Edwards does everything. Uh-uh, half. Huh? No, does. Don't use that word on our Autolite show. Oh, come now, Harlow. I can make you use that word, as you call it. How? <laughs> now, don't you say that Autolite resistor spark plugs make your car engine idle smoother? Yes, but... And your car gives better performance on leaner gas mixtures. Saves gas. Sure does. I mean, do. <laughs> I mean, does. <laughs> Aren't we devils? <laughs> Ralph, you tricked me. Well, anyhow, it does my heart good to tell people that Autolite resistor spark plugs are ignition engineered by Autolite, which makes more than 400 products for cars, trucks, airplanes, and boats in 28 plants from coast to coast. Autolite also makes complete electrical systems for many makes of America's finest cars. 
Batteries, spark plugs, generators, starting motors, spark plug wire, battery cable, coils, distributors. All ignition engineered to fit together perfectly, work together perfectly because they're a perfect team. The lifeline of your car. So, folks, don't accept electrical parts that are supposed to be as good. Remember, you're right with Autolite. And now here again is Ralph Edwards. I want to thank Tony Leader and his great cast of actors for helping to make my appearance on Suspense a very pleasant consequence. <laughs> like all of you, I'm a great Suspense fan, and I'm looking forward to next week when radio's outstanding theater of thrills brings you Joseph Cotton in The Day I Died, another gripping study in Suspense. Tonight's suspense play was adapted for radio by Walter Newman from an original story by H.R. Wakefield with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Bluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. Make it a point to listen next Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Remember next Thursday, same time, here, Joseph Cotton in The Day I Died. You can buy Autolite resistor spark plugs, Autolite stay-full batteries, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations present... Suspense! Tonight, Autolite brings you Mr. Joseph Cotton in The Day I Died, a suspense play produced and directed by Anton M. Leader. Friends, the 4th of July weekend is coming up with a lot of reckless weekend driving. So remember, take care, don't take chances. Reckless driving can put you in a spot you can't pull out of. Yes, even a dandy, dependable Autolite stay-full battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use can't help you then. Your life depends on normal, safe car driving. Be extra safe. And an Autolite stay-full battery is protected by fiberglass insulation for stronger life and longer life. Why, in recent tests conducted according to the Society of Automotive Engineers' life cycle standards, 
Autolite stay-full batteries gave 70% longer average life than batteries without stay-full features. So ask your dealer for an Autolite stay-full battery. And this weekend and all the time, take care. Don't take chances. Be battery right with Autolite. And now, Autolite presents Mr. Joseph Cotton in a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning. Why is that window open? It's getting stuffy in here. And I told I... you to keep it closed. You might be seen from the street. I haven't gone anywhere near it. No one. Don't could... argue with me, Wells. Keep that window closed. And a shade down. Now, just a minute. I- I'll give the orders around here. You're still my wife, Leslie, and this is still my house. You're forgetting something, aren't you, Wells? I'm not your wife. I'm your widow. And it's been my house ever since the day you died. <laughs> I had no comeback. I did what Leslie told me because, well, she was right. A dead man can't put up much of an argument. He has no authority, not even with his wife. Things had been different once. I had money, power, and there was nobody in the world who would have presumed to tell Wells Galloway what to do. But that was before a certain evening in July up at Lake Latimer. That was before Rad Tuttle, my law partner, paid me a visit at my cabin up there. In other words... That was before the day I die. I was alone. I'd gone to the cabin to be alone, to try to figure things out. The money was gone by that time. I'd thrown it away, hundreds of thousands of dollars in good living and gambling. And in a sense, Leslie was gone too. Oh, she was still my wife, but the man she loved was Norman Vale. And I knew it, and she knew I knew it, and she didn't much care, so... This time, I'd come up to the cabin without my rifle because I wasn't planning to do any hunting. But I brought along a revolver for reasons I didn't admit to myself. And I left it lying on the table in the living room. I was staring at it that evening when I heard the cab from the village stop down on the highway. It was still a little light, and I saw a shock of flaming red hair on the path between the trees and... I knew my partner was going to honor me with his presence. I thought I knew why, too, and I wasn't wrong. I couldn't believe my eyes, Wales. I still can't believe it. I came all the way up here just to hear you say it isn't true. You wasted your time, Rad. It is true. But good Lord, man, we were appointed trustees of that estate. Taking those bonds was a criminal act. Why did you do such a thing? I needed the money. Well, I hope you're ready to pay it back before the heirs get wind of it. I'm not. I haven't got a cent. Then what are you going to do? I don't know yet. You certainly don't expect me to... Is that what you're thinking, Wells? It is, isn't it? Well, I'll be hanged if I'll do it. I'm not going to take a beating to cover up for you. You cash those bonds and you'll make them good. Oh, go away, will you, Rad? What? I said go away. I don't care what you do about those bonds. I've got more important things to worry about. Like your wife, Wells? (laughs) Well, don't expect any pity from me there, either. I'm not asking you for anything. You're responsible for losing, Leslie. No man could treat a woman the way you've treated Leslie and get away with it. You made a slave of her. You practically locked her up in your house. Now, I think you'd to... better go away, Red. I'll go when I get the money to buy back those bombs. Not before. Oh, for the luck. Here. Here. Here's my ring. Here's my watch. Take them. They ought to be worth something. Take them. Take them and get out. I'll take them, Wells, but it's not enough. It's all I've got, I tell you. Now, leave me alone. All right. But when I leave here, I'm going to the police. Police? Yes. If you think I'm going to suffer for your mistakes, you're wrong. I'm going to bring charges against you before the Prescott heirs start prosecuting the firm. Why, you dirty... <laughs> another mistake, Wells. I won't take that either. She was stronger than I am. 
His blow caught me on the chin, and I went staggering across the room. I crashed against the mantel above the fireplace. A kerosene lamp had been burning there, toppled off and fell on the floor, but I hardly noticed it. My eyes were on something else, on that revolver that lay on the table by the window. I don't remember picking it up. I only remember how it felt in my hand. Wells! No, Wells! Put it down! Wells! The first shot dropped red to the floor. But I kept on firing because I couldn't stop. This was power again, the power to kill, and I loved it. But not for long. With the last bullet, the spell was broken, and then was when the fear came. I'd never known fear before. I wasn't prepared to deal with it. It took hold of me and shook me until I was trembling from head to foot. It brought the sweat popping out of every pore. It wouldn't let me approach the body, not even to reclaim my ring and watch. It carried me out of the cabin and sent me stumbling into the darkening woods. And I spent the night there, wandering blindly through the blackness. In my hand, I still carried the gun. Long before dawn, I began to wonder why I hadn't saved one shell, just one. For if my life had reached dead end a few hours ago, then what would you call this? Where did I go now, now that I was wanted for murder? It was daylight when I came out of the woods. There was a truck rumbling toward me. Desperate men take desperate chances. Give me a lift to the city. I sure, mister. Hop in. Wells Galloway was wanted for murder. I knew that right away. I knew it from the way he looked me over, but it didn't matter. Nothing mattered. This really was dead end. I guess you're okay, mister. Shut the door. What do you mean, okay? Well, I thought maybe you're the guy I heard about back at Lake Latimer. What, what guy? Well, it was a murder back there last night. One fellow shot another one in a cabin, then burned the cabin down. Burned it down? Shoot. Right to the ground. Couldn't even have identified the body. Only they found a ring and a watch on it. <laughs> I figured you might be the killer, but... Nah, he's a redhead. Word named Tuttle. The guy killed was his law partner. A big shot with a fancy moniker. Something like, uh, uh... Oh, Wells Galloway. Suspense, Autolite is bringing you Mr. Joseph Cotton in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. speak at the 4th of July picnic. I sure am, Hap, and by happy coincidence, I just happen to have a copy of my speech right here. Uh-oh. I'm going to say, on this glorious occasion, it behooves us all to think about that dandy, dynamic, dependable Autolite stay-full battery that needs water only three times a year, normal car use. Mm-hmm. On this historic occasion, my friends, let's look at facts. An Autolite stay-full battery practically eliminates one of the major causes of battery failure. And in addition, it's protected by fiberglass insulation for stronger life, longer life. My, my. Think, my friends, longer life. In recent tests conducted according to the Society of Automotive Engineers Life Cycle Standards, 
Autolite Stay Full batteries gave 70%, yes, 70%, longer average life than batteries without Stay Full features. It's inspired, Arnold. So remember these words that will go ringing down the corridors of time. An Autolite Stay Full battery needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And at this point, Hap, I take a long, cold drink of water. Why? Because I'm thirsty. You know, I'm not an Autolite Stay Full battery. And at this point, suspense. And now... Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Joseph Cotton as Wells Galloway in The Day I Died. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. So the day I killed my partner turned out as far as the law was concerned to be the day I died. It was my body the police had decided that was lying back there in the charred ruins of my cabin on Lake Latimer. It was Red Tuttle, not Wells Galloway, who was wanted for murder. The truck driver dropped me on the outskirts of the next city. I went into a barbecue joint, sat down at the counter, and pieced the story together. The kerosene lamp I'd knocked off the mantle, that was what had started the fire, and... It was the ring and the watch I'd given Red that enabled the police to identify the body that had been burned beyond recognition to identify it as me, Wells Galloway. That much was clear. But what wasn't clear was what to do about it. What's the next step after you've been pronounced dead? Well, here's the eggs, fella. Nice day, eh? Yeah. Yes, sir. Beautiful day. <laughs> kind of day it's great to be alive. He made me see the point, the man behind the counter, the point I'd been missing. It was great to be alive, especially if everybody thought you were dead, especially if the life you'd been living had reached an impasse and you were broke and your wife was in love with another man and you were wanted by the police and your only hope lay in a chance to start over, to start from scratch. That's what they were giving me, handing it to me on a silver platter, a fresh start, a clean slate. I was dead. Now I could begin living again. Well, now, let's see. Oranges, two eggs, bacon, coffee. Huh? That'll be 80 cents, please. Uh, 82 with tax. But that was another point the counterman made me see. Subtract 82 cents from $50 and you get $49.18. Not much to start a new life on. Not when you're used to big money. And big money was the only thing that would make a new life worth living. A little capital was all I needed, but... Where do you borrow capital when you can't show your face? Who lend money to a corpse? In the circles where Wells Galloway had moved, friends were not to be trusted. And as for my wife, as for Leslie... Leslie. Yes, Leslie. Yes, that was it. The Wells Galloway brain was beginning to click again. It kept on clicking, keeping pace with the click of the train wheels that carried me back to the city where the late Wells Galloway had lived. It was night when I got there. I was halfway up the walk when the front door opened. I hardly had time to slip behind the lilac bush before Leslie stepped out on the porch. He was with her, the man she loved, Norman Vale. You think I'm callous, don't you, Norman? You think I'm too hard? No, of course not, darling. You weren't happy with him. Naturally, you can't be too broken up over his death. Happy? <laughs> I was miserable with him. You know how he treated me? I wasn't his wife. I was his prisoner. I hated him, Norman. And I'm not broken up. 
I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> a shudder ran down my spine when I heard her, but that must have been because the night was getting cool, for after all, this was just what I was counting on. My plan wouldn't work if she weren't glad I was dead. I waited till Norman Vale's car pulled away. And then I waited five minutes longer. And finally, I climbed the front steps, put my key in the lock, and let myself in. Who is that? Who's out there? Who... <laughs> Hello, Leslie. <laughs> there had been a time when she would have fainted. She didn't faint now, but she turned very white, and I noticed when she poured herself a half tumbler of bourbon that her hand was trembling. Still, she managed, after one long swallow, to say rather evenly, almost casually. Let's have it, Wells. I'm sure it's a fascinating story. And so I told her. As I talked, I had a queer feeling that, that she was a stranger. Something had happened to her since I saw her last. Whether it was Norman Vale or whether it was the fact that she thought I was dead, whatever it was, she was a different person, a stronger one and braver and harder. What do you want, Wells? Accept my uh, condolences, Leslie. It's a tough break. Not at all. I'm tickled pink. <laughs> I'm sure. Did you think I would be? No. Do you have any illusions I'd be heartbroken when they called and told me that you were dead? None. You know what I did? Hmm. A jig. It's the first time I ever danced in this house. <laughs> well, you should have done that oftener. Things might have been better between us. I couldn't find anything to dance about. Well, why'd you come back? What are you after? Three guesses. Knowing you, I only need one. How much? 25,000. What makes you think you'll get it? I think you could use 25,000 yourself. Maybe you'd better explain. Simple enough. I'm worth $50,000 dead. The insurance is payable in one lump sum to you. It should be coming through in another week or so. And you're suggesting an even split? Exactly. I take my half and disappear. As far as you and the rest of the world are concerned, I'm dead and I stay dead. You have 25,000 and you're free to marry Norman Vale. I see. Well... Must have occurred to you I'd prefer to keep the whole 50. <laughs> if you could. And why couldn't I? Suppose I turn you in. Yeah. And you're electrocuted for killing Red Tuttle. I still collect, but there's no split. And if I'm not electrocuted, if I get life imprisonment? There would be that risk. Too big a risk, Lessie. I didn't plan Red's death. There was nothing premeditated about it. I killed him in anger. The state doesn't give the death penalty for that. If you can prove it. I think I could. I'd live a long time in prison, Leslie. I wouldn't like that. So? I'm thinking. You'd stay here in the house till the insurance company pays off. It's the safest place as any. Safer? You'd have to stay hidden. Of course. You couldn't step out the door. Not very often. Not at all. You'd be practically a prisoner in your own home. Well, for a week or two, it'd be worth it. Would it? Oh. Yes. I guess it would. All right, Wells. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, all right. It's a deal. She was smiling when she said it, but after all, why shouldn't she smile? Things had turned out well enough for her, considering the fact that I wasn't actually dead. This was the next best thing. Naturally, she smiled. Her reasons for smiling were perfectly obvious, weren't they? She went upstairs afterward, and when she came down, she was still smiling. I thought you must be tired after all you've been through, Wells. I made your bed. Thanks, Leslie. Guest room? No. Not the guest room. Well, if I'm going to stay hidden, that's the most isolated room in the house. Not quite the most. You're forgetting the attic. The attic? There's an old army cot up there. You'll use that. Oh, it's hotter than blazes in the attic. I... It's only for a week or so. You said yourself it was worth oh, it. Oh, and I didn't mean I... No, had... but I did. 
Don't you want to go up now, Wells? <laughs> that was when I started to catch on. It hadn't occurred to me that she would relish the idea of keeping me as confined as possible. <laughs> I was amused as I climbed the stairs. Let her have a fun, I thought. It wouldn't be so bad. A few days in the attic, well, that would kill me. The light up there was dim, and she must have walked very quietly because I, I didn't know she had followed me up the stairs. I, I didn't know it until I opened the door to the attic room. And then just behind me, she said... Go on in, Wells. I have the key. I'll lock the door. Lock it? Well, there's no need to lock it. I don't agree with you. The cleaning woman comes tomorrow. Well, she won't come up here. But you might be tempted to go down. Why should I? You'll get lonely, Wells. You'll get bored and restless and terribly unhappy. You'll begin to think you'll go crazy if you don't get out. You'll be desperate for the sound of a human voice. Believe me, I know. Now, look here, Leslie. Please go in, Wells. All right, but there's no reason to take advantage of the spot I'm in. What do you mean, dear? I'm protecting you. I'm carrying out our bargain, the one you suggested. Now go in and let me lock the door. I wasn't amused anymore. This wasn't funny. This was a new experience, taking orders from my own wife. And I couldn't say I liked it, but what could I do? One quick telephone call, one shout, even to the neighbors in the next house, and my game was up. I knew that, and she knew I knew it. So the trump card was in her hand, and she was playing it. She was playing it slowly and with pleasure. She was playing it for all it was worth. Good morning, darling. Morning, morning. It must be almost noon. I'm starving. Why, why didn't you come up? I was busy. Norman dropped over to see me. You didn't tell him. Of course not. This is... Our little secret, dear. Did you sleep well? I didn't sleep at all. Worried about something? Certainly not. I, it was hot up here, that's all. What have I got to worry about? Nothing that I know of. Well, go and get me something to eat. I'm dying of hunger. Oh, I hope not, Wells. I wouldn't want you to die of hunger. And then I saw it. I saw it all, the whole thing. The thing I should have seen before. How could I have missed it? She was going to kill me, and why not? What was there to stop her? Wasn't I dead already? Who would ever miss me? Who would know what she had done? She could bury me in the back orchard. She could, she could burn me in the furnace. She'd have the whole 50,000, and who would be the wiser? You can't accuse a woman of killing a corpse. Then on I, I paced. The room was only eight feet square, but I walked for miles, and the sweat rolled down my face and down my body, and the walls closed in, and I waited for her to return. What do you want, Leslie? Well, I thought you'd like to know. I just came from your funeral. Oh, they... they buried Red. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful service. I'm sorry you went there. That was the... Evening of the second day, she left my dinner on the table and didn't come back that night. At least, I, I didn't think she had come back, but when I awoke the next morning, I wasn't sure. Sometime toward dawn, a, a shadow had moved across my dream. A locket snapped, a door had opened. Had it been a part of the dream itself, or, or had Leslie... But why should she have come and gone like that? What could she have wanted? There was nothing of interest to her. Nothing. Nothing. Except 
revolver. The gun I'd emptied into Red Tuttle's body. It was in the pocket of my coat, and my coat was hung over the back of a chair. I leaped from the bed and went for my coat, the right-hand pocket. No, it was empty. Must have been the left. The left, left was empty, too. The gun was gone. Leslie had taken it. And now, now for the second time in my life, I, I knew fear. I stumbled toward the door. I began to pound frantically. Leslie! 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 heard her footsteps, and then she was just outside, hissing at me. Quiet, you fool. Let me out of here. Said, be quiet. Norman's downstairs. He'll hear you. I don't care who hears me. Let me out. Leslie, who is that? Here he comes. Will you be quiet? Who's up there, Leslie? Is it... No one, Norman. It's nothing, Don't lie really? to me. I heard someone shouting. There's somebody in that room. Who is it, Leslie? Leslie, answer me. Who's in there? It's... My husband... It's Wells. So now he knew, too. There was silence after she told him. And the sound of footsteps descending the stairs. She was leading him away. She was going to talk it over with him, tell him her plan, ask his help. They were discussing it now, just how they would do it, just how they would dispose of me afterward. I staggered to the window put a lock on it after the first time she'd found it open and even if she hadn't what good would it do me suppose I could climb down somehow where was I to go the face of a dead man attracts attention on a public street an hour passed before I heard footsteps again and now I thought now they would do it the key turned in the lock the door didn't open. They were getting ready, checking the gun. It was loaded now. They would empty it into me as I had emptied it into Red Tuttle. Now they were turning the knob. They were coming in. But it was only Leslie, and she had no gun, and Norman wasn't with her. It's all right now, Wells. What? Everything is all right. He won't tell. How, how do you know? He wanted to. He wanted to go to the police. I, I persuaded him not to, so... Don't worry, everything's quite all right. Was it? Then why did she say it like that, and why was she trembling? Because she was afraid, afraid of what she and Norman Vale were planning to do. Afraid because the next time she came, he would be with her, and they'd, they'd kill me. And I was alone again now. Oh, what were they waiting for? Let them come, let them come and get it over with. I was tired of this room. It was getting smaller every minute, smaller and hotter. The heat was unbearable. I could scarcely breathe. Why? It was hotter than it had been ten minutes ago. It was, it was like a furnace. Just like a furnace. I didn't know what it was at first, that sound. I didn't know until I heard it again. And then I knew. There was no need even to look at the steam radiator in the corner. They had built a fire, Leslie and Norman Vale, in the middle of the summer. They had built a fire, and they had built it for me. Now they sweat really poured. Now the breath came hard. No, not, not alive, I thought. They, they wouldn't put me in alive. Of course they would. That, that's the safest way. Gunshots could be heard. But you can't hear a man being stuffed into a furnace. Of course they would. No. No, no, they wouldn't because I, I wouldn't let them. Maybe I had to die, but not that way. No, 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 not that way. There was still the window. There were... 
still people on the street. Help! Help me! They're going to burn me alive! Help! 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 Something happened. I blacked out. And when I came to, I was lying on the army cot. The policeman towered above. He waited until my eyes could focus, and when he said it, he said it very quietly. You're under arrest, Mr. Galloway, for the murder of your partner, Mr. Tuttle. You fool! You stupid fool! She was standing in the doorway, and there was another policeman with her. His arm was linked to hers. <laughs> I could almost smile at that, but Norman Vale, where was Norman Vale? He'd wanted to kill me, too. He was as guilty as she. The policeman must have seen the question in my eyes. Your wife is under arrest, too, Mr. Galway, for the murder of Norman Vale. The murder of... Leslie, you... You killed him? Of course I killed him. Didn't I tell you he wanted to turn you in? Do you think I'd let him rob me of all that money? Oh, you fool, you fool, you. If you'd only waited ten minutes, there wouldn't have been a trace of him left. Thank you, Joseph Cotton, for a splendid performance. Well, hello. I guess that winds up suspense for this season. It sure does, Hap, but we'll be back in the fall on September 1st, in fact. Same time, same stations. And gosh, does that make me happy. Oh, it does? Yes, because then I'll have more opportunities to tell people about those dandy, dependable Autolite stay-full batteries that need water only three times a year in normal car use. <laughs> well, folks, I think he likes you. Yeah, just the way folks like Autolite stay-full batteries. So, friends, this is Harlow Wilcox. And his pal, Hap. Saying so long for now and best wishes for a happy, trouble-free summer from Autolite, makers of more than 400 products for cars, trucks, airplanes, and boats. Keep happy, folks. And keep your car happy. Have it checked regularly at your Autolite dealers or by the dealer who services your make of car. There's one near you no matter where you're vacationing. And be sure to ask for Autolite Original Factory Parts. Because they're engineered perfectly to fit together perfectly and work together perfectly. Because they're a perfect team. So, so long for now. And remember, you're always right with Autolite. And